Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and talking with sprint coach Hawken Anderson. Guys, we're, we're going to talk training. We're going to sit down, and after we go through a little bit of Hawkins' background, we're going to get right into talking about, you know, what got him into the scientific end of training athletes, what actually drove him to do all the research that he does, and uh, that was a pretty awesome and interesting discussion. Uh, after that, we're going to get into, you know, how his role in athletics has influenced how he trains athletes in other sport disciplines. You know, Hawken works with, he works with swimmers, hockey players, he works with soccer players, just to name a few. And the influence of track and field on that is really fascinating to me. You know, then we're going to get into a, a little bit more about uh, CNS fatigue and talking about the theories behind it and what he sees it as, you know, what actually it is to him. You know, he's got a great Hank story that he throws in there in the middle, and then we're going to get into talking about the role of weight training and jump training and how that's fit in with the different athletes he's worked with. And then we're going to finish that off talking about how strong is strong enough and what he sees the role of uh, Olympic weightlifting and training athletes and why he uses them. And that's a really interesting topic that he has and an interesting viewpoint that he has as to why he uses the lifts. It was really a fascinating talk, guys. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Hawkin, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Jay. It's a privilege. Well, let's, uh, let's start out with everybody watching and listening here. Just let's hear a little bit of your story uh, from, you know, being an athlete to, you know, obviously where you're now as a coach. Let's, uh, let's give people a little rundown of, of your, your story. Well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a true dinosaur, you know, I've been involved in track and field for the last 40 years, uh, first 10 years as an athlete and the last uh, 30 years uh, as a coach. And, uh, I, you know, I've been involved with sports since that's a very young age and I started with, you know, some martial arts, played football, hockey. I was a speed skater until I found track and field when I was about 17, 18. And, and uh, I was pretty dead serious about my, my athletics, uh, you know, for until I was about 23, 24. And I gradually moved into coaching. I don't know why at the time. It just happened, you know. Some, uh, some you know, friends uh, started, uh, you know, training with me. And, uh, you, know, you know, eventually I started enjoying helping other people, you know. And then... Uh, uh, you know, I decided to 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 finish my career and and uh, pick up coaching. But uh, you know, I, I I'm not a full time coach. You know, I, I'm uh, from the beginning. I'm a train engineer, but uh, I've been working with a with a fire fire brigade since I was 23 years old. It was an uh, occupation that fitted very well with with his, my sporting career. And uh, you know, I'm presently working as a senior officer. Uh, and as such, I, I can retire when I'm 58, and that can happen this year in November if I want. So see what happens after then. That's awesome. So an engineer in the fire brigade, which I'm assuming means you're you're a fireman. Yes, yes. And you coach athletics. Yes. Which is a very interesting triangle. Three really different realms, but the engineer part, I'm sure, has helped played in a little bit with the sports science realm. So can we talk a little bit about sports science in Sweden and how, you know, the international perspective of that? Uh, well, when I started coaching, you know, I, you know, I, uh, 
you know, took all the coach, uh, the coaching, uh, you know, education there was and such, you know. But uh, uh, one person that played a big role in, in, in my career in terms of sports science was a doctor, a local doctor. I started coaching his daughter, you know, and he really got me, me, me caught on, on, you know, trying to read real, real literature, you know, and he opened a, a new world for me in, in terms of sports science and he connected me, me with all the guys in, you know, in Yvesky, you know, the, all the professors there that are doing did and still uh, does, you know, great uh, scientific work, especially in terms of strength. And uh, so he played a big, big role in that, you know. He really pushed me, you know, to, to you know, educate myself. And I still feel I'm a, a scholar of, of coaching, you know. I, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years and uh, every year I understand, you know, how little I know, you know, how much, uh, much more there is to, to, is to, to know. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very challenging uh, thing to be a coach, I find. Yes. So asking this, since Sweden is, um, the talent pool isn't as big as like we have here in America. So how has this scientific approach in your research um helped improve with you know the the talent that you're able to to work with well it's, it's hard to know you know but me as a person I, I like to understand as much as possible and then I, I feel that the more I understand the, the the more precise I can be you know I have a great friend in 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 Norway Leif Ola Alnes he was coaching Gay Moon was one of the greatest European sprinters ever, and he says, you know, as a coach, you have to, you have to have, you can't be like a hunter with a shotgun, you know, you have to have a rifle, you have to be more precise, you know, you can't just go out and shoot like crazy in, in the woods, it costs so much energy, you know, you have to be more precise and you have to cut out that, cut out everything that uh, doesn't really, you know, help you to improve. You know, I think a lot of people do unnecessary things. You know, you, you, we, we train too much. You know, we train too frequent, and people break down. Yeah, I uh, couldn't agree any more with that. And especially coming from this country, where definitely, if if one is good, a hundred is awesome. You know. Um, so then looking at that, so, so you said that that perspective started with your general practitioner, your family doctor. Uh, yeah, actually, actually, you know, I think he, you know, he, you know, being a, a scientist, you know, I have this critical thinking that I, 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 you know, that I really found appealing, you know, that not just to, to believe everything that people say, you know, you, I mean, sport is very, is based on science, but also on empirical, empirical, you know, experience and very easy to do what we did in the past, you know, is, is sometimes hard to change because we're very conservative, you know, and uh, uh, so he he started, you know, he taught me to question everything we do, you know. That was that was his biggest contribution, I find. That's really neat, especially coming from someone in the medical field that really would have a, a lens looking from the outside in to talk with a coach about being more um, investigatory. Yeah. I think is pretty pretty awesome. Now, you've obviously made your name in athletics, in track and field, but we also know that you've helped quite a bit of other professional athletes. 
Uh, how has your time working in athletics and working in track and field helped with, uh, with the soccer players that you've worked with? Well, like, like most track and field coaches, I've been prostituting myself in almost every sport, you know. <laughs> uh, Try to make a buck, you know. But I've really been enjoying doing that too. I don't do it so much anymore because I find I don't have the time, you know. But I've been working with, you know, professional hockey players, uh, you know, soccer, basketball, uh, you name it, you know, I've been doing it. And, and uh, some individual athletes too, on the Olympic levels, swimmers, boxers, uh, you name it. But it, it's basically, I've been using the same principle. They, they have been interested in, in, you know, either running speed or explosive strength. You know, it's basically the same principle I find like, like we use in track and field. It's, it doesn't vary so much, you know. The problem is that some of those sports, they train uh, a lot of endurance. Uh, like uh, take a swimmer, for instance, you know, you even a 50 meter, you know, freestyler, they, they swim seven, eight kilometers per day. Uh, and it's very easy to, you know, all the, all the explosive strength or the, the speed you try to develop, it, it kind of drowns in, in endurance. And it's the same with, with the soccer players, you know. They, they put so much emphasis into, into endurance, aerobic endurance and so on, you know. So if you try to develop speed at a mature age, it's very difficult, you know. So I think it's in those kind of sports, it's very important that you... You, you do more uh, more of that kind of work uh, as a junior, you know, because when you come up to a professional level, you, it's, a, it's very hard to develop. But what is easier to develop is strength, you know. But uh, so you, you can try to to develop, uh, you know, running capacity and and, and uh, through through the weight room more than than actually sprinting. And it's, it's also a way to to stay healthy, you know. It's because uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's uh, more important that the that the the guys uh, can play that than they are two hundredths of a second faster in a in a thirty meter acceleration test. You know, they they have to play every Sunday, sometimes even two two, two games in a week. So when you look back at your time with swimmers, ice hockey players, and soccer players. You find that a lot of the same uh, methods and ideas translated directly from the track over to these sports. I mean, you, you take uh, you, you take uh, things here and there, you know. But some sport sports varies, you know. Like look at swimming; there's hardly any stretch shortening, you know. That's uh, hardly any eccentric work, you know. It's a very very concentric uh, event, you know. So it's it's no use you know doing you know hurdle jumps or you know re reactive uh, jumping to develop uh, elasticity with a swimmer because they don't use it you know you can but you, you, there is some part of, of of the strength training that we use in track and field they 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 can use of course. That's awesome. You know it's funny that you bring that up because that's something that we've talked about with our swim team here at the university. And the club team that I work with quite a bit is that, you know, everybody wants to talk about how much they have to do jumps and jumps and jumps. Mm -hmm. And it's like, because, you know, you hit the wall and then there's the stretch shortening cycle. And I'm like, well, uh, uh, sort of, <laughs> not really like on the ground. Uh -huh. uh, so it's really happy to hear you say that. You don't work against gravity like in track and field, that's for sure. <laughs> no, and you're supported. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, so we have a mutual friend or two, um, but one in particular. Um, what are some of the best things that you've taken from Mr. Hank Krasenhoff? Well, first time I met Hank, you know, it was actually, I think it was in 1992. Uh, I read a, a very interesting article in one of the American journals that really stood out. And it was a Dutch uh, author, and it was Hank. So uh, eventually I managed to get his telephone number and phone him up. I think it was like a Monday or Tuesday and introduced myself. You know, I'm a young coach in Sweden. I was really impressed about your work and I could, could I come and visit you? And I said, yeah, of course. Can you come on Friday? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I managed to get some money together to buy a, you know, a ticket, you know, and I went down to Henk in, in Amstelveen outside Amsterdam and uh, he was so open and friendly from day one, you know, we, we sat in his library, I, I was surrounded by about, I think about 2,000 books, you know, and uh, he was completely open and he has been a great inspiration and a, and a great, uh, yeah, he has been a great mentor all these years, you know, when I feel something I need to discuss, you know, if I have a question, he's uh, always there, he's always super helpful and he's probably one of the most holistic coaches I ever met, you know, you know, he, he's a great guy. Oh yeah. One of the best. Yeah. Both as a coach and a person. It's funny, you know, he yeah, always yeah. talks about the library and he, you can always <laughs> see it when you talk to him online and his yeah. joke is, you know, there may be 3000 books here, but there's not a page that I haven't read either. You know, <laughs> no, he's a great guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, one thing that our other friend, our mutual acquaintance, Carl, wanted me to bring up was uh, he wanted us to talk about CNS fatigue and your experience trying to measure that. Um, so let's, let's get into that a little bit and then uh, and, and we can go from there. You know, CNS fatigue is one of these murky topics you know, that has been popularized uh, among the sporting community and uh, to be honest I don't think anyone of us really knows what, what, what we're talking about you know and I mean if you if if talk about a hundred meter sprint you know uh, you know the, the speed uh, you know decelerates at the, at, the, at the end but I don't think there are any scientists in the world that they can tell you exactly why you know? and I usually bring up you know when I lecture too sometimes you know why can't you lift a maximum weight twice and uh, you know we, we soon we're going to have a man on Mars you know we, we, we are building buildings that are a kilometer high you know we have doctors that do operations with, with you know with, with robots but we don't know why the speed drops in a hundred meter race and why we can't uh, lift the you know maximum weight twice but you're probably right it has something to do with the nervous system you know and if you if it if it uh, you know, Reed, if you, you know, Tim Noakes, you probably know the Australian scientists, you know, when it centered governor theory, you know, it's, it's based on endurance, but it probably plays a role in sprinting as well. Something happens in the muscle between the ears, you know, but it's very hard to, to know exactly what. But what I think, you know, that I think that the, the, the brain is probably, um, uh, it, it probably, recovers a lot faster than the muscle, you know. 
so I, I, you know, sometimes I doubt, you know, the theory that you, you, you know, stressing the, the nervous system every day is too stressful. You know, I think uh, I don't think I don't think we have the whole picture there actually. Now, of course, people can get burned out, you know, you know, in in the in the in the brain by working too much, you know, and living a stressful life, you know. But when it comes to central nervous system fatigue, you know, uh, it's still very murky. And uh, but the the theory that we can't stress uh, high intensity every day is valid, you know. It doesn't really matter if it's if it's seen as fatigue or if it's a muscular fatigue. You know, you can't sprint flat out every day. You know, we know from experience that maybe you can you can sprint with high intensity maybe twice in seven days. That's about it. You can't tolerate more. So it's very in in terms of training. I think that, you know the density is very important when you even you when you when you plan your training. You know and. Uh, but if if you're stressing your central nervous system, uh, you know, into fatigue, or if it's, if it's your muscle fatigue, or if it's a combination, I, I I really don't know. That's interesting. That's and that's a really awesome way to look at it. When you say, "Why can't you lift the maximal weight twice?" and that's actually like word for word what Carl said. He was like, oh. "Ask him why you can't lift the maximal weight twice." Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know, and I, I this is a question I've been asking a lot of sports scientists, and I don't get a straight answer, you know. So it's uh, I'm I'm not alone. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's a it's a popular topic, you know, and uh, all sort of the devices, you know, to me to measure central nervous system fatigue, you know. But uh, I don't know. They sometimes I find you know, we've been using a lot of different systems you know they, they they're interesting and there might be some validity but I find that the integration and the communication with the athlete is is uh, is a a lot of times a better tool and uh, to talk about you know how they feel you know how they slept uh, how they're looking forward to retraining you know how, how the general life is you know or they, if they feel, you know, fatigued or, you know, if they feel sluggish and you talk to them when they warm up, you, you, you watch them when they're warming up, you know, all those, all those sort of things are, I find, more important than to, to measure with devices. It can, be a, it can be an extra asset, of course, asset, of course you know, because so, sometimes you don't get the whole picture. Sometimes maybe by some reasons the athletes are not completely honest. I don't know. Maybe especially in team settings, they lose, uh, scared of losing a spot on the team or something. But I find with athletes I've been working with, and I, I try to develop a good uh, relationship. You know, so you can have a honest communication. You know, and uh, I think that's uh, the name of the game. Actually, it's uh, communication and. To understand that you know athletes are not only athletes, you know they are they are having they're having a life on the side too. That sometimes can be very stressful, and it's certainly going to affect your your performance, both in competitions and in everyday training. Yes, yes, hundred percent. And I think that that's kind of been more and more of a of a buzz, especially you know in, in the states when it comes to stress management and athlete management and looking at things like that. But I think the, the point that you brought up that you seem to find that building that relationship and talking with the athletes is, is the best tool of all of them. And what most people, um, at least those that I talk with, keep coming back to is all of these tools need to just 
continue to open the conversation and mm. you need to own whatever you're doing. And, and if it doesn't drive conversation, then it, it's kind of just a bell and a whistle that isn't making any noise, you know? Um, but no, that's, that's really neat. And I think that that's, there's some really awesome points in there and, and questioning the whole thought process because everybody really either, I mean, you're kind of in the central governor camp or you're not. Mm. I think more people are, are, are inclined to, to believe that theory than to go against it at this point. Um, mm. But I really do. I think that those are all awesome points. Like, how do we know? We don't mm. know. No. Like, the smartest sports scientists in the world don't know. How does a little strength and conditioning coach in Richmond, Virginia have any idea what he's talking about? You know? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's it's complicated, you know. It's uh, you know I, I always bring up my another thing, you know. We sometimes we think that sports is super developed or everything is a product of science, you know. You know the the Greeks they were having Olympic games for one thousand years, huh? one thousand the Asian games continued for one thousand years, and it was so important that even you know they they put a halt on war to to you know to have the host the games. Eventually, it was uh, banned for uh, you know corruption and cheating, you know. But but they did for one thousand years, and they they had professional coaches, they had professional athletes. And we don't know because we don't know how good they were there because we don't you know there's no results, you know. They didn't have a you know timekeeping equipment, you know. But they did it for one thousand years. We don't even have a clue. You, you can see on. On you know old uh, you know paintings and so that you know could see sprinters were really muscular developed you know it was a, if it was a part of the genetic uh, uh, it was a genetic product or if it was was, uh, was training we don't know but and I think there is so much we can develop in sport you know and and I, I'm afraid sometimes you know that. Uh, I think the 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 use of uh, you know performance enhancing drugs has really hampered developmental sports because you don't have to you didn't have to really worry about what to do too much you know, you you at least were taking the pills and giving some taking some injections and it kept on improving you know but uh, I think there's so much more you can do you know and so much more we can improve you know that you didn't even have to think about you know the, you know drugs if you, you are to continue doing sports drug-free for another thousand years. So you can't even imagine what kind of results that we would do in that 1,000 years. So there's definitely lots, lots of rooms uh, for improvements. Oh, no doubt. And it's funny you bring up the artwork because the last time Hank was in Virginia, we went to the Museum of Fine Arts downtown here. Yeah. You'll have to ask him to send you the picture of the vase. There's a vase. Okay. Yeah, like, and there's a sprinter, and yeah. I tell you, man, the 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 cat's thighs in this yeah, yeah. painting were like it was like body, thighs. Yeah. Like, the body looked like a <laughs> finger, and the thighs looked like the shoulders. It was unbelievable. He's like, look. huge hamstrings, the huge hamstrings. Yeah, that's what he said. He goes, look, yeah. even back then, huge <laughs> huge hips, huge thighs. Yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, the next time we talk uh, to Hank, have him have him send you that picture. Hank, if you're listening, send send Hawk in the picture. He'll love it. Um, yeah. Now most people <laughs> that listen to these talks are, are strength and conditioning coaches. So, uh -huh. could you give a little background and a little bit of your experience when it comes to the weight training and the plyos in conjunction with what you do with your athletes? Yeah. 
You know, weight training and, and, and jumping, you know, plyometrics, you know, stretch shortening kind of, of exercises, you know, when you work against gravity, they're all very potent training, I find. They're very, very effective. If, if it is the right athlete at, in the, at the right time with the right preparation, I mean, you, you, I think you would do a huge mistake, you know, if you take a, you know, 28-year-old hockey player starting doing uh, lots of work, jumping over hurdles with him, uh, people, they would just break down, you know. And uh, I think if you're, if you're to, to use plyometrics or jumping, you have to start at, at a fairly young age. You have to learn how to jump, and it's much easier the, the earlier you start, especially when you, your body doesn't weigh so much. And some people seem to be natural jumpers, some other people don't seem to, but can still run faster. So you don't think you can say in general everyone has to do plyometrics or, you know, that sport can... It all depends on the, on the athlete, you know, and the, where is the, the preparation and, and, uh, and so on, you know. And, and when, you, when you talk about team sports, it's, most of the time it's not, a matter, you know, it's not a matter of maximizing performance like in sprinting. It's a, it's a matter of optimizing, you know, or you can, you can even perform well as a soccer player or hockey player having physical levels at the medium level. And you don't have to take any chance, you don't have to gamble, you know. You know, track and field athletes, you know, we're very hitting the ceiling, you know, we, you, you run into plateaus, you know, and when you don't develop, you know, and then you maybe have to take a little bit of risks to develop. And, uh, Sometimes in track and field we do stupid things, you know, because uh, people want to improve. But I think you can play more safe in the most most team sports. But there is a, there is a room for for you know for for jumping. But as I said, you have to be very very careful. So would there be a chance of maybe getting um, an example of some things that you've done, maybe with a swimmer versus a soccer player or an ice hockey player? Well, like an ice hockey player, you know, he's like he's having his feet in a cast for seven months of the year. So everything, you know, working up on your toes, you know, stressing your your plantar flexors is is dangerous for him. But if you work in a low position on a whole foot, you know, doing jumps sideways or jumping, you know, like skate jumping up hills and stuff, when the impact is not so high, it's great for him, you know. And this is, is very easy to, to combine with, with, with other types of training. And when, when, it, when you talk about swimming, I think the, you know, the, the, the you know, resistance training, working with weights is much more important than jumping. You know, of course, you have the start, you know, and maybe you can use uh, jumping, you know, for a newer drive, you know, you, it's a great way of getting, you know, recruitment, you know, but... Uh, as I said, you know, it's, it's a danger for them as well. Soccer players is, is a little different. They're usually lighter. They, they run on grass and they jump. And the, the problem with, with sometimes when you talk about, uh, when you talk about the, you know, strength and conditioning, you have to analyze the game. You have to analyze what they already do in their sport. And if you take a forward in, in soccer, maybe he jumps uh, five or ten times in a game, 
So that's not enough, you know, to, to get any kind of adaptation. So if you if you think that jumping uh, ability is important in, in, in for soccer players, you know, to be, you know to be a good header, uh, is something you have to break out. And, and of course, uh, you know, vertical jumping is 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 a good way of doing it. But you also have to understand that jumping on grass is different from jumping on a on a on a rubber surface, you know. So you have to adjust it to to, to where they perform their sport. Uh, yeah. No, that's fantastic. And then just going back through the three, because obviously those are three things that you've had good success with with those athletes. You know, the vertical jumping with the soccer and the skater bounds up a hill with hockey. Are there any specific lifts that you said when I worked with a hockey player versus a swimmer versus a soccer player, footballer, we had more success with those? I think there is a common theme. <laughs> I think it's Olympic lifting, you know. And what is so great about Olympic lifting, you know, that the cleans and the, you know, and the snatch and so on, that they involve so many muscle groups in one in one in one exercise. So, so you have you have so much more time to rest than you know you know working you know sitting in machines and working. You know, it, it takes all day. You know. But you can get a weight training routine, you know, done in 20 minutes, uh, and and you 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 more or less uh, work your whole body, and uh, so I'm a big I'm a big favor of, of Olympic weightlifting. But as another thing, you know, it depends that who's the athlete, the experience, uh, when it, where it, does it want to go. So I mean, if you you start working with a professional uh, soccer club and you have a professional player that is 32 years old that's never seen a barbell, I mean, it's a waste of time to teach him how to clean. You know, it's going to take three years. He's going to be retired before he masters it, before he gets anything out of the training. So yeah, just as in jumping, lifting is is a is a is a basic movement. You should start at a fairly early age, and the earlier you start to learn it properly. The more effective you can be when it still uh, when it starts to count, uh, but also it's a you know it is a effective to a certain point. You know when you talk about European sprinting, and I think some people has gone completely berserk, you know, and de you develop strength to a level that is not necessary. You know, you, I mean you don't have to. As a sprinter, you know, if you weigh, you know, 70 kilos, you don't have to clean 150, you know, maybe 120 is enough, you know, and those extra 30 kilos doesn't give any extra add to your, to your, to your performance. It's just give you maybe perhaps extra weight. So, and we have a lot of bad examples with that, you know, in, in my country and, and the rest of Europe that sometimes maybe we overemphasize, uh, you know, the strength training. Maybe it's the same in the States. I don't really know. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's, uh, and it's funny. There's a Ph.D. in Missouri named Dr. Brian Mann who earlier uh, on this podcast talked about how with American football players, they ran like a longitudinal study, and they found that like with the back squat, so not, not a clean, just a regular old squat, that it was like mm. two to two and a half times their body weight. Once, a, once an athlete could do that, they didn't see as much carryover. Mm. Uh, but I think that the, 
the million dollar question with what we do always is going to be how strong is strong enough. Yeah, you know, exactly. There's, there's going to be some people who just naturally could, you know, rip a bar off the floor and, and catch double their body weight, you know, like they're just picking up a piece of paper. Mm. Do they need to get any stronger or is the fact that they're naturally strong the thing that makes them better than other people? So that's what we should work on more because what you're good at is what makes you special. Um, so yeah, well, sometimes, yeah, so, sometimes too, it's easy to mix up strengths, you know, specific strengths to specific, you know, strengths in the weight room or strengths when it comes to jumping, you know, I'm sure Hank can tell you all sorts of stories, you know, of a world-class sprinters, he coached that has been really weak in the weight room. But when it comes to a specific movement on the track, they're, they're super strong, you know. And I'm coaching a young sprinter at the moment, you know, he, you know, he weighs 63 kilos, maybe he can squat 125, 130, you know, but he has a, the fastest acceleration I've ever seen, you know, he's super fast. And, uh, you know, so, you know, he could put on extra 10 kilos on his body weight, you know, I, I, maybe he would improve, you know, a couple of hundreds in his 30, but it would slow him up, off, you know, at the maximum velocity at, at the end of the race, you know, so it's always, always a balance. And then you have to see who is in front of you. And, and uh, it's very, you know, it's very tempting to, to, to work in the weight room because uh, it's very easy to, to detect uh, improvements, you know every kilo on the bar, you know, uh, it's a very direct feedback that you're improving. It's much, much more difficult to, to monitor development of speed, you know, it, uh, especially if you, you know, have a long a, a microcycle, you know, and uh, it's, um, it's much, much harder to monitor how, how you're progressing. Yeah. And really, though, with almost all sports, what the scary part is, is the speed is what's most important. Yeah, for sure. But, Hawken, this is absolutely awesome. I can't thank you enough for staying up with me today and, uh, you know, giving us about 35, 40 minutes here of some just great information. I, I really can't thank you enough for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, send my regards to my grand mentor, Hank Reinhoff. And uh, best of luck with your seminar, okay? Oh, thank you so much. And a huge thank you to today's guest, Sprint Coach Hawken Anderson. Uh, I mean, absolutely fantastic stuff, talking CNS fatigue, his opinions of that, Olympic weightlifting, his opinions of that, getting into the role of the weight room and developing athletes. Absolutely fantastic stuff, gems all the way around. Can't thank Hawken enough for, for taking the time to, to be on with us today and to stay up late to talk with me for, for a little bit. So Hawken, thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed the talk as much as I did. And as always, if you did, please share it in the social media outlet of your choice. Any questions, thoughts, what helped, any, any ideas to contribute, go ahead and leave them below, whether it be on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or on the page itself. We'd love to hear back from you guys, just trying to build conversations and get things going. And as always, guys, thank you for being a part of what we're doing here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast and another fantastic guest. We will see you then.